speaking of storms, the Saturday before last, the storm blew through, and Sarah and I were a little bit nervous about it. There was not much danger from this storm, but after the summer we've had, can't be too sure. After all, we lost a, a tree, in a, and it came down on our fence on the third storm, big storm of the year, the one that nobody was expecting anything bad to happen. And I know some of you have had storm damage and are still, still uh, waiting for to, to uh, re rebuild from that. So we were a little nervous. At one point, Sarah said, do we need to go downstairs? No warnings, no nothing, but the trees were starting to dance a bit. So, and after the last few months, I was ready to consider it. Still a little worried about having a tree end up in our living room. We have a big ash tree in our backyard. And the last thing we want is to have, uh, have that uh, come down. But one can imagine, though, how much worse storm anxiety was for the disciples in that boat, stuck in a rinky-dink fishing boat in the middle of the lake during a storm. Some of you have been to the Holy Land. Some of you might have seen the Jesus boat in Galilee and how it's just all patchwork with different kinds of wood where there were leaks and they just kind of fixed it up here and there. It was that kind of a boat. Not exactly a cruise ship. Not, not even a good pontoon boat. They're out in the lake in the middle of a storm, and you can just imagine the wind howling, rain pounding, lightning crashing on the water with nothing to break the wind or the waves. Just curious, how many of you have been on the lake during a storm? A few of you. Yeah, yeah. One, yes, for sure. It's a little, little terrifying. A little terrifying. There's a reason that the ancient Near Eastern cultures thought of the sea as the embodiment of chaos. For those who plied their trade on the waters, like the disciples, they, routine, they routinely encountered life-threatening dangers. At any moment, your boat could fail. You would go straight to the bottom. Our world is experiencing, it seems, a spate of stormy weather. Waves of chaos crash all around us. We're seeing the effects of climate change with record high temperatures in Europe, early season wildfires and drought in our country, and reduced crop yields worldwide. Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues, a reprise of the brutality of the Second World War. Prices keep going up and up, although we've had a little relief on gas prices. Over four bucks a gallon is still a strain on the, on the pocketbook. The violence at home, school, and the workplace continues to plague our nation. It even seems to be infecting the world. Is it any wonder more and more Americans can barely get out of bed in the morning? Is it any wonder we have a mental health crisis in this country? And yet waves of chaos have threatened people in every age. We're not particularly unique. We forget how precarious life was for the first audiences of these texts. Daily life was beset by all kinds of dangers. Disease, the whims of local warlords, or the king, foreign threats, crop failure, and earthquakes could devastate town and nation alike. To live day to day was to live in the shadow of death. So what sort of wisdom did Proverbs offer then 
to those audiences? And what wisdom does it offer us today? We moderns who live so differently from our ancestors. You might have wondered about the first word of the sermon title, quotidian. It's one of those $50 words that sometimes I use too much, but no other word quite encapsulates the kind of wisdom we're talking about. Quotidian means everyday, commonplace, maybe even unexciting or mundane. Quotidian living is everyday living, the routines of life, the, the kind of living that we do when the seas aren't parting, when bread doesn't fall from the sky. And it, and it is there in the everyday, in the routine, in the embarrassingly common that the wisdom of God is found. Woman wisdom calls out in this speech from Proverbs in the quotidian places of life. From the heights to the crossroads, from the city gates of the doors to individual homes, she calls to people to learn from her. And her teaching isn't high-polluting arcana for an elite few, but ordinary stuff that even a child can grasp. Again, Proverbs can be read as a catechism that expounds on the Ten Commandments, applying them to daily living. In previous chapters, chapters 1 to 8, 1 through 7, the sage expounds on two commandments in particular. The fourth, honor your father and mother, and also on the sixth, don't commit adultery. The fourth, the sage constantly summons the student to listen, hear the teaching of mother and father and teacher. In the sixth commandment, there is a lot of description about the trouble that awaits those who do commit adultery. You can't get any more every day than those relationships. The relationships between parent and child, or teacher and student, and husband and wife. Very common. The summons is clear. Listen to wisdom in the voice of mother, father, teachers, and ultimately God. Staying faithful to God and to each other. Of course, we aren't always faithful as being bound to sin. Sometimes we make the storms of life worse for ourselves by making bad decisions. So what hope do we have when we simply can't make the right choice for ourselves? When we're mired in addiction or apathy or despair, right living can seem hopelessly out of reach. What's the good news when water is coming into the boat? And all our efforts seem to make things worse. The same everyday wisdom that guides our lives is not just good advice. It's also a cosmic force. The power of wisdom is embedded in the fabric of creation itself. Wisdom herself speaks of this in Proverbs describing herself as a master worker with God, taking great joy in God's handiwork and delighting in humanity. Humanity is indeed special to God and to woman wisdom, not for anything humanity can do, but simply because humanity is. That's the only reason. And because wisdom is embedded in creation, creation is subject to God's voice. When God spoke wisdom at creation, the waters of chaos receded. Light, land, and life emerged. 
When God in Christ spoke wisdom in the fishing boat, rebuking the powers of chaos, the storm ceased. Wisdom is the childlike joy of God that keeps chaos at bay. There's always a limit to where chaos can go. At some point, God says, here and no further. This doesn't mean that life isn't stormy. It obviously is. And it doesn't mean we can pretend there are sunny skies all the time. Storms don't win. They don't last forever. God will utter the word and the seas will calm. Chaos does not ultimately displace order and darkness does not extinguish light. The wisdom of God brings restoration and peace where there was once destruction and violence. And in the meantime, we can do what all prudent people do when storm sirens sound, warning us about the destructive forces around us. We take the right steps to weather the storms, placing our ultimate trust in the God who created, redeemed, and sustains us. Unlike the literal siren, though, we don't just hunker down in our shelter, waiting for it to blow over. We engage with the world and all its chaos. Sometimes we do need rest, for sure. But we're not a church that hides. We are not a church that hides. We are a church privileged to receive God's wisdom when we receive the word of God, both verbally and sacramentally. We are a church imbued with wisdom's voice, a voice that we can use when we call on God in prayer, praise, and thanksgiving in all the circumstances of life, whether stormy or sunny. And we're a church who can live differently through God's wisdom because we know by faith that chaos does not win. God wins. Order wins. Peace, life, and love win. Listen to the voice of wisdom today. Let's pray. Lord God, strengthen our trust in you amid the storms that batter our boats so that we may live well within them, trusting that you will set the storm its limit. Amen.